Welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I am your host, Tony Serino, and this is your daily dose of all things Steelers. Today on the podcast, we are continuing our re-review of the 2017 Steelers season. Today, doing weeks four through eight of the Steelers season. Really a, a an interesting chunk of the season. I think when the se- it's really when the season starts to get interesting. The first four weeks... You know, they're such a different team than what we ultimately came to know at the end of the year. But what this team really became in 2017 wasn't the team that's, that that started weeks one through four. And some people call, you know, those those first four weeks, you know, the, the feeling out process and extended preseason, if you will. Um, you know, weeks four through eight certainly were, were more um, in line with the team that we knew. Uh, before we get started, a programming note. This is a pre-recorded podcast. I am on vacation this week, so... If you are tuning in expecting me to talk about the Steelers news of the day, unfortunately, uh, I am on vacation, so you'll have to wait till Monday of next week to get that. But uh, yeah, let's let's get into part two of our re-review of the 2017 season, starting with week five. Uh, so I said, sorry, week five through eight, not week four through eight. What am I talking about? We're week five through eight. We start with the Jacksonville game, Jacksonville at home. I had the pleasure of being in attendance for this game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, I, I a lot of people have talked about this game being fluky. And re-watching this game and and thinking about this game again, after having re-watched weeks one through four, it doesn't come off to me as much as being fluky anymore. I mean, some of it is fluky because some of the interceptions are just strange. But you see the same things in this game that you saw in weeks one through four. You just had a team that was able to pounce on this team and 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 force them into mistakes. It's something you heard Jacksonville talk about going in. This was a lopsided destruction of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Make no doubt about that. 30 to nine on, on the scoreboard. And it probably should have been 23 to nine, but they got the long run at the end. Jacksonville got a long run at the end. It didn't matter, but it, it's, it made the scoreboard feel more like the game that actually got played in that the Steelers were just killed in this football game. And yes, it felt like throughout the game, even when it was 23 to nine, I still felt like, you know, we probably could come back and still tie this game up, right? Two, two easy touchdowns, uh, you know, we could we could go right back in. We could be right back in this thing, which is funny considering how the Jacksonville game would play out later in the season, and that that was largely the case. Even though we were down 28-7, to everyone in the stadium kind of felt like, eh, and all the fans watching felt like, eh, we could probably still get back in this game, and then they ultimately would. Um the, the Jacksonville loss, though, those four intercept, the five interceptions that he threw, you know, some some of them weren't his fault. And that Juju fell down on one of them, but they came from again, you know, Le'Veon Bell being shut down in the run and over reliance on on going to Antonio Brown, a, a a Jacksonville team that was able to take the weaknesses of the Steelers and play them against themselves, play Ben Roethlisberger against himself, a Ben Roethlisberger that was not comfortable yet with his offense, where to go with the football. I mean, they played right into that. You know, yes, some of those interceptions were fluky. Not all of them were Ben's fault. But man, Jacksonville did a really good job in this game of playing the Steelers against themselves in this game. And as I talked about on yesterday's podcast, if the Steelers had played quality teams in week one through four, they probably would have lost more than just one of those games. In fact, I don't even know that Chicago would have been the game that they should have lost of those four, right? You look at the way Cleveland played out. I mean, that probably could have been a loss as well. But Jacksonville... As we go, as we come, as we've come to find out at the end, right? That wasn't a fluky loss playing down to your opponent as we thought at the time. That was a quality football team coming in and showing us 
this Steeler football team is not who we thought they were. You know, th- this is this was very much, uh, you know, the 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 um, the Dennis Green in opposite, right? Not not they are who we thought they were. It's they're not who we thought they were. This is not a high fly, flying offense. This is not an in rhythm offense. This is not a defense that is ready to to stifle. Uh, you know, every yes, there were two pick six in this game, but you know, they, you had a long drive in the third quarter. Uh, you, you know, you had the long run at the end. This this defense didn't help itself in this game. Uh, not not that they were the cause of the loss, but they didn't help themselves in that football game. And that took us into Week Six, the biggest game of the Steelers season, without a doubt. And I think it's even bigger than the New England game in Week Fifteen. This was a game the Steelers were three and two, coming off of a humiliating loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and absolutely needing a win and facing a 5-0 Kansas City team that was, you know, as hot as anyone in the league. They had beaten the Eagles, who would go on to be Super Bowl champions. They had beaten the New England Patriots in New England, killed them week one, right? Kansas City was, at the time, the hottest, best team in the NFL. Now, they would cool off since. And so I don't want to make it out like, you know, we beat... You know, we beat the the 2007 Patriots or something like that. We beat the 72 Dolphins. You know that we didn't, right? I mean, the, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. But it, you know, I don't I don't want to I don't want to downplay how good they were playing at the time, and again, how bad the Steelers were playing. Through five weeks, we were three and two. But through five weeks, we had yet to play a really complete game, a game where you said, "Boy, that was a really impressive win." Maybe Baltimore, you could point to and say, "Okay, that was the impressive win." The Steelers needed to find themselves some way, somehow. And they did in Kansas City by running Le'Veon Bell the same way they did Baltimore. They went right back to the Baltimore game plan and said, this thing's going through Le'Veon Bell until we can figure out what the hell is going on offensively. And so, and with the passing game. So they ran through Le'Veon Bell, and it was as good a performance as you will ever see from Le'Veon Bell. He was truly, truly the best running back in, you know, he proved again why he is the best running back in this game. There were... Uh, this is a this is a game tape that you should you know if, if you're going back and looking at ooh what was the fun games of the season this was one of them uh, defensively how well this team played there were so many brain farts in this game like the the uh, the Steelers had uh, had got a safety and then didn't field the 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 free kick and gave it up to the to the Chiefs and you felt like oh my god you know we're up two nothing we're coming back all of a sudden, you know, we, we're going to get the ball back. We can go up 9 nothing here, right, if we can go down and score a touchdown. Instead, we give the ball back to Kansas City. And yet, the Steelers' defense throughout the first three quarters of this game was absolutely lights out. After that field goal, the Chiefs did nothing offensively. This was a game where, on both sides of the football, they turned it up to 11. And you saw the best parts of both sides of the football. I thought Sean Davis had a great game. I thought... Uh, Le'Veon, uh, Le'Veon Bell on offense had, had a fantastic game. Vince Williams had a terrific game. Guys who, to this point in the year, had been either a little too quiet or just completely gone altogether, like Sean Davis and Vince Williams had been, they came up humongous in this game. This was this was a terrific performance on both sides of the ball, one of the best performances. When we talk about playing down to your opponent with, with you know, Mike Tomlin-led teams, you know, let it... Let's remember that there are also games like this where the Steelers play completely above themselves, and this was certainly the case. The Steelers got themselves back on track. Now, were there parts of this game that were frustrating? Of course, because still offensively, even though it was going through Le'Veon Bell and he was the driving force of this game, they still had, again, an over-reliance on Antonio Brown. Juju, not really you know super involved in the offense just yet. Martavis Bryant, again, 
you know, he would go he, he would go on after this game, uh, t- continuing to be frustrated and demanding trades. Uh, Vance McDonald had a nice catch in this game, but again, tight ends weren't a big part of the offense just yet. It just they couldn't put this team away, and, and at the end, when you need when this team needed a score, it took a somewhat of a lucky Antonio Brown catch and run to put the Chiefs away. But I don't want that to take away from what I think was the best, certainly the best performance to this point in the season. And that takes us to Week 7 against the Cincinnati Bengals. Really an extension of what happened against the Kansas City Chiefs. This was this was, this was played out like an extended version of, of Kansas City with the Steelers dominating offensively again. You know, they weren't as dominant defensively until the second half. But the, the same kind of run the ball down their throat, but this time it was more Ben Roethlisberger to go with it. And really, I think this was Ben's best performance of the year Thus far, you know, it wasn't that he put up gaudy stats. I think he had, you know, a little over 200 yards passing, but he completed the ball to eight different receivers. He just looked more comfortable back there. He looked like Ben Roethlisberger again. And I don't know that we'll ever know why Ben Roethlisberger was so off the start of the, at the start of the season. You know, whether it was that he was trying to get used to his new receiving core, that you know, that's something we can look forward to in 2018 as, you know, it's not like we're bringing back the same guys. He's, there's no more... Martavis Bryant now, they're, we're inserting a new rookie receiver back there. How long does it take James Washington to uh, to get on the same page with Ben Roethlisberger? We'll see. We'll see how long that takes. But again, it took until week seven. It's just interesting to me that it took seven weeks for Ben Roethlisberger to really find his footing. And again, I do want to dispel this notion that it took Le'Veon Bell seven weeks to get going. You look at his performances even before Baltimore, and Baltimore was a terrific game. I, I, I still look back at the way he played against Minnesota, and Minnesota was just as good a Le'Veon performance as we've seen in other games. It just he didn't get the number of touches uh, that that we've seen him get in uh, in other games. So the Cincinnati game again playing out a lot like Kansas City. This was a this is another dominant performance. Off uh, defensively, there were some again there were some some question marks early in this game. Uh, they allowed two easy touchdowns from Andy Dalton, but they they shored that up in the second half. They they shut him down, uh, Andy Dalton by getting to him, putting pressure on him, and forcing Andy Dalton into some really dumb throws. And again, shutting down the run. One thing we saw out of this team during this part of the season was a real re-emphasis on stopping the run. They had back-to-back bad games against Chicago and against Jacksonville and did not stop the run very well. Against Kansas City and Cincinnati and then Detroit the week following, it was much better, much, much better at defending the run. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that you look at the Kansas City game, you look at this Cincinnati game, and you look at the Detroit game. These are three of Sean Davis's best games he's played, uh, or he played in all of 2017. I, you know, he was he was very good, made himself known in those games, and we didn't see that from him a lot throughout the year. I think these, this this stretch here between Kansas City and Detroit is his best stretch of 2017. It's something. I'm hoping we can see more out of him. It's, it's going to be a different role for him in 2017. And so, you know, we'll probably see him uh, a little more because he'll be involved more in, in pass defense. But, boy, uh, Sean Davis was a guy who I had a lot, I really high expectations going into 2017. And, and you look back at the tape on him, and again, outside of this three-game stretch, he just didn't have the kind of impact that I really was hoping he could have at that safety position. If you're... If you're a listener from back in Steeler Country days, I, I compared him, you know, I compared him to Troy Polamalu only in not because he has Troy Polamalu like talent, but because in his rookie year, 
Now, he was around the football Troy, you know, in a kind of Troy Palomalu-type role. I mean, he was just always around the ball, especially on running plays, kind of driving himself towards the line of scrimmage. His his second year, it just it just stopped being the case. He just wasn't there. Um, it's good to see that you know that he's he showed glimpses in 2017. I had forgotten how good he was in this three game stretch. It makes me a little uh, a little more optimistic about how well he could play in 2018. But again, this this was this was the best of Sean Davis that we got in 2017, and that takes us to Detroit now. And the Steelers are 5-2 and two at this point, going into a Sunday night game against the Detroit Lions. This game was not without its own drama with Martavis Bryant being suspended. Uh, so Juju would have to take over. And this, of course, was the Juju game. This will be remembered as the Juju game. I think this is the first time we saw the, the Pittsburgh Steelers that we would see for the rest of the year. This was, this was when we started to get a taste for who this team really was. The first four weeks... Eh, you know, you can't really read too much into that. It's, you know, it's an extended preseason or whatever. Okay, fine, right? These these next four weeks were the, the team kind of defining itself. And, you know, getting Le'Veon Bell a ton of touches and trying to work the offense through him started to work. We went into to Detroit. Detroit did a good job of, of stifling Le'Veon Bell. But Juju started to emerge as the real third option on this on this offense. And, you know, with Martavis Bryant not being there and Juju having to be more of a driving factor in the offense, he really came to play. This was a terrific, terrific performance by him. And you know, I know he had the long 97-yarder, but he had a, he had so many other good catches in this game. And ju- again, just made himself known out there. He was uh, this was a spectacular performance by him. Uh, however, defensively, this was a horrific, horrific game. This was the game that. Everyone was fearing was coming, which was the Steelers defense to this point had played, you know, let's say, you know, out of the six wins or the five wins that they had had prior to this game, they had had, they had played out of those games. They played maybe four of them. You would say were decent games. Two of them though, left you wondering like, uh, are we sure we're good? Are we sure we're a good team defensively? The first half of Cincinnati, oh boy, that was not ideal. There were some moments in Cleveland where you said to yourself, what's going on? The early parts of Baltimore, there, there were real question marks about this defense, and when would the wheels fall off of this defense? Would the wheel A, would the wheels fall off, and B, when would it happen? And it happened against the Detroit Lions, and it doesn't look that way on the score sheet. 20-15, to 15, the Steelers win this game. The Detroit scores five field goals. But this was a game that was dominated by the Detroit Lions. And dominated by Matt Stafford. Yes, the the Steelers did a great job of defending the run in this game. Holding them to, to three yards a carry. But, through the air, Matt Stafford did whatever he wanted. And he exposed a lot of the things that we would see later on in the year. This was a bend-but-don't-break game. They, they The Steelers were allowing yards between the 20s. But they allowed so many long plays at least four plays of 30 yards or more in this game this was the first time we started to see the communication breakdown it wasn't just that it was the Steelers being exposed in their ability to cover sideline routes on the cover the holes the gaps in a cover two defense they just couldn't get there and a strong-armed quarterback 
like Matt Stafford, made them pay and made them pay over and over. And it was shocking to me to see how little adjustments the Steelers were able to make in this game. It was, look, they they did well in the red zone. They had some big red zone stops in this game. And the Lions did a lot of stupid things in the red zone to hurt themselves. But this was the first time we really saw the Steelers' defense for who it was or who it would become. And that was a defense that, against big, strong-armed quarterbacks, they would make you pay, and, and Matt Stafford certainly did that. It, this was a very, very alarming game if you were a Steeler fan. But it again, it ended in victory. It ended in this team, again, not giving up 20 points defensively. They gave up 15 through five field goals through nothing short of a miracle. I mean, again, it, I cannot overstate how well Detroit played offensively between the 20s. They didn't finish. They didn't finish, but that, you know, again, that you can only do that so many times. You can only get away with that as a defense so many times before you get burnt on that. And we would see this team get burnt this way plenty more times da- down the stretch. This is a this is the kind of game when you talk about the Steelers need more help in the secondary. They need better coverage linebackers, they need better coverage safeties, and they need better coverage corners. This is the game you have to point to because again, this was Matt Stafford doing whatever he wanted to do back there. And so when we talk about needing a guy like Morgan Burnett to come up big for this team, we talk about needing Sean Davis to transfer into a free safety role to play sideline to sideline. If we don't have that, this is the kind of performance we can expect, and it won't end in the Detroit Lions scoring 15 points every time. And we'll see that as we continue. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to talk about weeks or, or games uh, nine through or nine through 12. Sorry. So that'll be tomorrow on the podcast weeks nine through 12 uh, games against Indianapolis, Tennessee, Green Bay, and Cincinnati. This is a part of the season where, you know, we, we figure out, we figure out that maybe defensively we have been living a lie a little bit. All right. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you all for listening. If you want to leave feedback, Steeler country at gmail.com is the email address. You can find me on Twitter at Steeler country. And I'll be back tomorrow for more Locked On Steelers.